Um, we're 2 Timothy part 4. I will start with this story. I don't know if this is still a thing or not um, when you guys were in middle school, but when I was in fifth grade and I went through the Highland Park schools, we did this big thing and it was a field trip and you work months to lead up to this field trip. So I'm actually curious if this still happens, but it was called Enterprise City. Is that still a thing or no? We're no. Mike, did you even do that? You're, okay, so oh, that's true. Providence. Shout out to Providence. I forgot about that. Um, good, good point there. So Enterprise City. Yeah, shout out to Mikey also and Providence. That's good. Yeah. Yes. Did y'all do that? Y'all did that. So it still happens. So you, uh, you get a job and, you, and then you get money and then you can buy stuff. Yeah, that's it. So you spend months kind of getting ready for it. And I remember a guy had to, like, you run if you want to be the judge or the mayor of the town. And I ran for the judge. I didn't get it. So they put me in some other shop. And basically what it is, is it is a simulated city to kind of show you what the real world is like. So you have a job, you make money based on what your job is. And then there's a bank. So you make deposits and you have a checkbook and then you can spend your money by going to a store, and it's kind of intense when you think about it for a fifth grader, but you lead up to it, and then you get there, and I just remember at the very beginning of our Enterprise City Day, this girl gets up there that's like running the whole thing, and she gives this speech on the store, and she's like, look, when you make money, you know, you go to the bank, you put it in your account, whatever, and you can then use your money to go to this store. And then she just went off on like all these things that you can buy from the store. And I mean, I'm sitting there like, this is amazing. Like we're missing school. We're going to make fake money and buy stuff. This is great. And I don't know why this was just fifth grade, Will. And now I have a perspective on it that I will share with you. But for some reason, the last thing that she held up was a pair of binoculars and I wish I could tell you it was something else, something cooler. It wasn't. It was a pair of binoculars. And for some reason, I just really wanted the pair of binoculars. I don't know why. And I think it's how she sold it. She made it seem as if it was the best pair of binoculars ever. Now, fast forward, older, wiser Will realizes what happened is that they made a bad purchase of a bunch of binoculars and were trying to convince poor fifth grade kids to buy it to get them off their hands. That's what I figured out later because why would I want binoculars? But she sold me on it. And so I, you know, I'm working my little job, going to the store and I'm loading up things from the store, right? Like I'm buying everything that they possibly have. And I leave and it's, it's about that time to leave. And they call up some people. They're like, hey, before you leave, we've got to call up people. And there's like six of us, okay? And I'm one of them. And I go up there. And what ended up happening is she said, okay, so this is real world, right? Enterprise City. It's like the real world. So you have a job. You make money. And then that money goes into the bank. And if you spend more money than you actually have, that's called going in debt. And that's bad in life. You don't want to go in debt. And what had happened is, is I did not keep track of my money and I had spent more than I had made. Therefore, I, as a 10-year-old, went into debt. And you would think that they would just be like, hey, good life lesson, just learn that. But they literally make you give back stuff. They actually do to teach you the lesson. So I had to give back the binoculars. 
And I remember in fifth grade almost being in tears because I was so excited and I had worked hard for this. And I was like, I get to walk out the door with this thing. And right as I'm getting ready to walk out the door, they take it from me, you know. And I thought about that and just that principle of you work really hard for something, you're really excited about it, but in the end, you don't get to take it with you. How disappointing that is. And I say that because that is a lot of the game that we play every day, is we live in a world that is telling us to work hard for things that in the end, they actually are not things that we get to take with us. They are things that actually expire on earth. And it's not necessarily that these things are bad. These things are things that God gives us and we can enjoy them. But the reality is that if we want to live a life of meaning and purpose, we have to invest our lives into things that can't be taken away. Things that actually last beyond our time in life. And what Paul is calling Timothy to do in 2 Timothy is he is telling him, hey, you can invest your life in things like money and popularity and success and all of these things. But in the end, those things are not going to go with you. Like when you face God one day face to face, he's not going to say, that's great. Like your bank account, the house you bought, all the accolades and accomplishments, you can take those with you in here. There's, those are not things that necessarily go with us. And what Paul's going to do with Timothy today is he's going to tell him, hey, this is the thing that does go with you. This is the thing that lasts forever, but it's a hard thing. It is a challenging thing. You're going to need strength to do it. So here we go. I want to show you this. This is my one main point today. I know I have one. Now, did I break it up into three subsections? I did. But here is my one main point. If you want to remember it, this is what he's saying. Paul is calling Timothy to give his life to this purpose in the strength of Jesus to deliver, it's supposed to say, to deliver the words of Jesus to the next generation. So in the strength of Jesus to deliver the words of Jesus to the next generation. And he's going to say, this is the best way to live life. That all these other things, they're important and they're great and they have a place. But in the end, the question is, how am I living my life to in the strength of Jesus to deliver the words of Jesus to the next generation? generation. So we're going to break this down, and I want to first talk about what it means to live in the strength of Jesus. So this is 2 Timothy 2. We're going to read 1 through 7. This is just verse 1. This is what Paul says to Timothy as he writes this from prison. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, if we stop reading halfway through that verse, which I strategically cut in half, it just, it says, you then, my child, be strengthened all right, now, if we stop right there, we're in trouble because it's basically what Paul's telling Timothy, as you've learned so far, is he's basically telling him, hey, don't worry about what other people are saying or doing. Don't worry that you might be all alone for the gospel. Don't worry that you might be killed like me. Don't worry about how young you are, how physically weak you are, how shy you are, all things that were true of Timothy. Be strong, okay? If that's what he's saying, that is like telling me, okay, five flat 40 will in high school playing receiver that if you like your life depends on beating Tyreek Hill in a race. Okay. Like my life depends on beating one of the fastest people in the world in a race. You just got to, all you have to do is beat him in a race. And then at the end of it, you telling me, so be fast, like go, go for it. There, there's your encouragement. That is not encouraging to me. Okay. That is flattening to me. If all I'm told is just, just go get them, be fast, right? But that's not what Paul does. Paul doesn't just say, 
Be strong, Timothy. Figure it out. What he tells them is he says that the source of his strength is not in himself. The source of his strength is in the grace of Jesus. The way that this is worded is it means to be inwardly strengthened by the grace of Jesus, that the grace of Jesus would go deep inside of him and inwardly strengthen him. This is completely different than the message that we hear every day. The message that we hear every day are advertisements like Nike that says, just do it. Like um, Gatorade that used to say, win from within. All these messages that we hear that say, you have to muster up the strength in yourself to do things. And what we find here is that a Christian is not someone who musters up the strength for themselves. A Christian is someone who admits their weakness and receives Jesus' strength. I got to write a devotional this week, last week, for Every Thought Captive. It's a weekly devotional that the church sends out. You can subscribe to it. It goes out every Friday, and you can read it. It's a reading thing. And this is something that I said in that devotional. I thought it related to this. The pattern in Paul's other letters as well is this. He does not tell us what to do without first telling us what Jesus has already done. And if you ask Christians in Dallas what they think, non-Christians in Dallas, what they think Christianity is all about, I've said this before, they often think that it's about living and behaving a certain way. And the same misunderstanding can actually be true inside the church. That if you ask people inside churches, a lot of Christians, myself included, may proclaim the gospel with our mouths, but we live like God's acceptance of us depends on our performance, how well we're doing, how obedient we are, how good we're doing, how much we're growing. And that's religion. That is not the gospel. Religion says, to steal a quote that a lot of people have had, that if you obey, then God will accept you. But Christianity flips it and says, if you understand that God already accepts you and loves you because of what Jesus did, then you will actually want to obey him. You will actually be empowered to obey him. So in religion, your motive for obedience and strength is fear in its pride. In the gospel, the motive for obedience is actually grateful joy. Because you're so grateful and so joyful for what Jesus has done that you want to follow him. And I quoted this guy, Herman Bavink, he's an old theologian, and he says that when people are captured by the gospel of what Jesus did for them, when that really sinks in them, this is what it says. He says that gratitude and joy drove them to do good works before the thought that they had to do them even crossed their mind. Meaning they didn't even think No one even told them, you've got to do good works. You didn't have to tell them to obey. They were so captured by the good news of what Jesus did that they wanted to do good works before anyone even had to tell them anything. So what Paul is saying is he's drawing on this principle that when we draw on God's grace and his kindness, that's the instrument for receiving strength in our lives. What does this look like? It looks like being constantly reminded that God loves us, he forgives us, he changes us, he helps us, he comforts us, he enables us, and he secures us. That that is the place that we start from every single day. And that is what gives you strength for whatever God's calling you to do. Maybe right now he's simply calling you just to be a faithful student at your school. 
to ask the question, what does it look like just to be a student, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, in the life that God has given me? What does it look like to bring glory to him and walk with him just as a student in the life that he has given me? I think sometimes you guys are taught by people in your schools that you always have to look ahead. It's all about the next thing. It's about planning for college and your job and all these things. But what if what God's calling you to do right now is simply to be faithful and follow him just as a student, that this is God's plan for your life right now in this moment. God's plan for you, it's not only some future thing, it's also the thing right now. For you, what he may be calling you to do is you're, you're in a hard friend situation and you need strength to handle difficult friend situations. For you, you might be living with temptations in high school and you feel like the temptations that surround people in high school are just constantly tempting you. Um, for you, it might be you're in here and you're struggling with a lot of anxiety and worry about the future. Okay, these might be the things that you need strength for. And as I said at the beginning, we all look for strength in something. But what Paul's saying is that if you're struggling for strength in any of these areas, strength is available when you focus on the gospel. You receive it by focusing on his grace. And that's what he's telling Timothy is that be strengthened in the grace that Jesus has for you. Okay, the second thing he tells them is this idea of delivering the words of Jesus to the next generation. So this is 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I go to this all the time. Do we have it? Perfect. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So as he's about to die, Paul, he is calling Timothy to pass on the things that he has taught him to the next generation who will do the same thing. Now, I want you to look at this verse. I've asked this question before to people. How many generations are in this one verse? How many generations are represented? Well, if you count it, number one, Paul. So from me, that's Paul, to Timothy, that's two, um, to faithful men, that's three, who will teach others also, that's four. So in one verse, you have four generations represented. Paul to Timothy to faithful men who will teach other people also, this is what we call making disciples. This is what we call discipleship. Church term, you've probably heard a lot. The disciple, the Greek word, methetes, it means a learner. A disciple is a learner, which means that every person in this room, every person in the world is a disciple of something. Every person in the world is being discipled by something. The question is, what is discipling me? What am I a disciple of? Of. And what Paul is saying is that I want you, Timothy, you've been a disciple of Jesus as I've poured into your life. I want you to go and help other people be disciples of Jesus. So a definition of making disciples that someone told me years ago that I've always remembered is he said it's intentionally meeting with other people while having on your mind what's on the mind of God. I'll say that one more time. It's intentionally meeting with other people while having on your mind what's on the mind of God. It's just meeting with people for the purpose of helping them take that next step with Jesus. So a verse that we use on our staff all the time is 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, that when Paul describes his ministry in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, what he says is that we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. So what he's saying is that making disciples is about sharing the gospel with people and sharing their lives with other people. And this, where did he get this from? Genius idea, right? Spend time 
with a few people, maybe 12, and see if it changes the world. Okay, he stole that from Jesus, right? Jesus' strategy for changing the world was not huge events and big-time marketing. His strategy for changing the world was to intentionally pour into 12 people who would then do the same, who would then do the same. And we would see that today as a complete failure. Like we would look at his ministry and be like, okay, you had 12 main people and you got murdered on a cross. Like that's not really that successful in our eyes, okay? Yet you can tell that this was the greatest strategy that we've ever seen. The strategy was to get the word deeply in people and have them entrusted to other people. And that's what we're doing here. That's why we meet. We're not meeting here because it's just fun and I need a paycheck, okay? I do need a paycheck and this is fun, but I would live my life like this even if it weren't my job. If I were in other realms, like if God called me to go do something else, you know, be like a famous broadcaster or something like that, right? I, my whole thing is I would just be like, great, don't care. I am going to make disciples wherever I am. Get the word in us and we go and we entrust it to other people. And each year of my life, as I get older, it is convincing me that the future of Christianity is not bigger, louder, famous, influential. It's actually smaller, it's quieter, it's humble. It's people that just would pour into other people behind the scenes and not care if it's noticed. Now, if you think about it in this verse, um, if you've ever been in a situation where they're like picking teams for pickup basketball or dodgeball or something, I don't know if you've ever been picked last, all right? Um, you don't have to admit that. But generally speaking, the characteristics you pick when you pick a team, you're going to pick the best athlete, you pick the popular guy, um, whatever. Like there's characteristics that you value when you pick a team. Now, sometimes in ministry settings, that's what people do. They want to pick the most gifted. They want to pick the best speaker, the best leader. But look at what Paul says he looks for. It's really two things. And trust to faithful people. It doesn't say gifted. It doesn't say most popular. It says faithful people who will be able to teach others also. So it's faithfulness and reliability um, is, the, is the first thing. And then I would say teachable. They want to go teach other people. So the question is this, Paul's not looking, and we don't look for people that necessarily have everything in the world's eyes. We're looking for people that are faithful, reliable, and teachable. And the reality is that the world makes us so busy. So the first question is for you to think about is, are you available, right? Like, am I actually available to be discipled? Am I someone that's faithful? Am I someone that's reliable? Am I hungry to learn and grow? And what does it look like to look for people that are the same? These may not be people that the world looks at and says, ah, that person is who I would pick. All right. First Samuel 16, 7. Okay. One of the things that God tells Samuel in this context is he says, the world man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So God doesn't see as man sees. Man looks at the outside. God looks at the heart. And what Paul's saying is that look for people that are faithful and that are teachable. Okay, William Tennant, he was a preacher in America in the 1700s, was so boring. His church wanted to fire him because he was so boring. Because of their church government structure, they couldn't fire him, which is kind of funny. But horribly boring. These people were like, this guy's awful. How can we fire him? We can't fire him because our church won't let us. And what he would do is he would build log cabins in his backyard and he would teach the Bible to people. That's what he would do. 
He would just spend his time teaching the Bible. He got made fun of. People were like, ah, the log cabin guy, the log cabin Bible college guy. But what happened is his log cabin college became Princeton. And out of that, 67 other universities spread out across America, built on the Bible, that he had spent his life in a boring way, right? According to the world standards, teaching people scripture. And it spread out all over the country. That's what Paul is talking about here. All right. And then the last point is this. What does it look like to give your life to this in the strength of Jesus to deliver the words of Jesus to the next generation? So this is verse three through seven. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. So a um, few years back, well, a long time back, not a few years back, uh, have you ever heard of Ernest Shackleton? This was a guy who explored Antarctica. He was an explorer, and he needed people to join him. And the legend goes, you may have heard this, but the legend goes he posted an ad in a newspaper and this is what it says. I'm just going to read this to you. It says, Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. That's my favorite part. Honor and recognition in case of success. Ernest Shackleton. And then he gives his address. Okay, now you hear that and you're like, well, I don't know. That's the best recruiting pitch. Okay. Like college football today, you got to offer them millions of dollars. Okay. Not that certain colleges are doing that, Mikey, but like theoretically, that's what you have to do. But Ernest Shackleton is like, Hey, you might die. If you want to join me, come on. You see that? You're like, he's not going to build a team. But the way the legend goes is the next day, hundreds of people showed up because they were like, I want to be a part of that. That's a purpose that I want to be a part of. Like there's something in us that we want a purpose to give our lives to. And what Shackleton was doing is he was saying, hey, I want to invite you into a purpose that's worthy of pain. And in these verses, this is what Paul's telling Timothy is that in the strength of Jesus, delivering the words of Jesus to the next generation is costly. It is difficult. It is a sacrifice. It is challenging, but it is a purpose that is worth the sacrifices. So very briefly, there are three analogies he uses if you catch this, to drive this home. The first one is a prison, or a, a prison, a soldier in prison. Paul would have seen a lot of soldiers. Okay, now if you think about what a soldier does, does a soldier expect an easy life? Now, do they expect that they're going to be able to go tell the commander, hey commander, this is the plan today. This is what I want to do. Like, no, that's not what a good soldier does. And that's what Paul says is that they don't get entangled in civilian things, which means they don't get entangled by the things that maybe other people get absorbed by. They have to stay focused on the bigger picture, the bigger purpose that they've been called to. It doesn't mean they don't go to school. It doesn't mean they don't have a job one day. It doesn't mean they don't go to school dances. That's not what it means. It means they don't get entangled by them. So they're involved in them, but they're not entangled by them because they have a bigger purpose. Okay, the second one is he, he uses the metaphor of an athlete. Now, he's specifically referring to the Greek Olympic Games that were going on during this time. And the, the story goes that in that time, you would commit to 10 months of training for the Games. 
And then you would have to swear an oath that you would actually train. That's what he means when he talks about competing according to the rules. So it's you have committed to 10 months of training. That's what an athlete does when they see something in front of them that's worth the pain. And there's all these stories coming out about Tom Brady who just retired the goats, okay? And he, there are stories about him that when he would go to weddings with people, they would wake up and they're all exhausted and all that. And they would look out and they would see Tom Brady who brought his personal trainer to the wedding training out in the field. They're like true stories about him where he's just crazy and how devoted he was to what he does. It's like he, you know, he doesn't eat cupcakes. Like he said, I'm not, you know, I'm giving up things like that. And you're like, that's so sad, Tom, but he's got his, you know, TB12 diet and all that stuff. Because what he's saying is I'm living in a way that's different because I have a purpose that's bigger. That's what an athlete does, or at least a good one, okay? The, the third one is a farmer. Okay, farming is hard work. It does not come with quick results. There's, uh, there's something called giant timber bamboo. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but it will grow 90 feet in only 60 days. That's crazy, but not until you've watered it for at least three years. So you have to show up faithfully for three years and water this plant that you never see any growth. And then all of a sudden, one day, you see giant growth. This is so countercultural because our culture constantly tells us that we promise quick results. Okay, if you buy this instantly, like it's gonna make things better. We get frustrated if we're at a restaurant and our food takes a long time. But the reality is that this is true in following Jesus, that change in our own lives, dealing with temptations, the cost of following Jesus. All of these things take time. And what Paul's saying to Timothy is the, the cost is worth it. I don't know if you've ever been to church or a Bible study and you've made the comment, um, I'm not getting anything out of this. I don't know if you've ever heard that comment. What Paul is telling Timothy in the sense of being a farmer, it's not about what you're getting out of it. It's about um, if the word is getting into you, you're going to eventually get something out of it. That's what Paul's telling Timothy is there is a faithfulness. There is a long-term patience that some days you enjoy the fruit. Some days you just show up faithfully and plant in water, but the word of God gets into you and it flows out of you. This happened to me when I started in ministry. When I started in ministry, I wanted the big job. I wanted to like go plant a church. I wanted to have, be that guy, you know. And I ended up being a resident at a church for middle school. I did not ask to do middle school. And a lot of my job was just like setting up chairs every week. That's what I was doing. Like not getting any credit for it. But what happened in that time is it developed a character and a desire to serve and be faithful, even if nobody was seeing it. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but what Paul's saying with these three things is it's about long-term faithfulness to a purpose. Okay, so I want to end with these questions. I want you to think about these things as we're done today. Um, the first one is, is this, where are you drawing strength from today? Second one is, are you getting the word of God in you and are you entrusting it to other people? And the third one is, what would it look like to lean into this idea of long-term faithfulness in your life? This is the best way to live. It is in the strength of Jesus to deliver the words of Jesus to the next generation. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the Bible shows us how in the lives that you have called us into, which today is as high school students, 
that you show us what it looks like to live life for a purpose that will last forever. We thank you that our strength is found in your grace. We pray that we would be reminded of the gospel. And then as we are reminded and captured by it, we would go and deliver your words to other people. And that's what we would devote our lives to. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.